Well, we are in Galatians, so we're traveling through Galatians, and uh, once a month we um, I get a chance to get into it. So we're in chapter three today. Um, so we'll, ca- we'll we should cover the chapter. Um, feel free to uh, lift up the prayer for Chuck throughout the week, and just ask the Lord just to keep him strong, keep him strong, and keep him going. He's doing pretty good. I talked to him, um, saw him, and um, he's hanging in there. You know, he's doing his thing. He's getting better, so that's good. So that's really good. But let's turn to Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew uh, there for you. Um, but, um, you know, when you look at Galatians and you look at um, Paul and you look at the people of Galatia, the region and the area there almost 2,000 years ago, uh, we see Paul doing something very important, defending the gospel. And it's amazing how as soon as the gospel came on the scene, the enemy stepped in and tried to uh, keep things from um, uh, progressing in the church. And it's what the enemy does. Paul has to contend with the Roman government back then. He has to contend with false teachers of the gospel slipping into the local churches and teaching another gospel, which is not another Okay, and what they were doing was leading Christians away from Christ by a works plus Christ relationship with God. So it was their own little religion that they made up there. So the last time that we were in Galatians, we saw the Apostle Paul doing that, defending the gospel. He was before the apostles down in Jerusalem, you know, and, and everything went well. You know, they heard what he was teaching, and they gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. You know, so they moved out smartly to go continue to, to uh, share the gospel, teach the gospel where God was leading them. So when we look at the body of believers in the leadership of the church back in the very beginning, the, the fathers of our faith, the very first ones, they agreed with the gospel. They gave them the right hand of fellowship. They says, yes, what you're teaching, what you're preaching, to the Gentiles, that is the gospel. Now you're talking Peter, you're talking James, you're talking all of the fathers of the church. So we shouldn't have anybody that stands up now and says, oh, I know better than them. So we know that the gospel is true. Um, and the gospel, they were in full agreement with it. Uh, remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved. That's what he was, he was teaching that. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift, uh, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone, all right, should boast. So the gospel Paul teaches, however, when we look at our gospel, what, what Paul is teaching here, it does contradict the gospel, so-called gospel that is preached by the Mormons. It contradicts the gospel that is preached, so-called gospel by the Jehovah Witnesses, by Islam, by Christian science, and all other religions that deny the gospel of Christ that Paul teaches. So that's what our gospel does. It does contradict those false teachings. So when you hear someone or anyone proclaim a gospel, okay, um, be alert, get your ears open, listen to what they're saying for a minute there. And if it's different, then what Paul preaches and what we know is the gospel, don't give it any attention. Don't even allow it to get into your brain, okay? And I say that very strongly because this is 
not the day to be slack, okay? We're living in a, in a day where there is a strong delusion out there that will lure you away from the gospel. These false, deceptive teachings are being taught everywhere. You see it on the radio, well, you see it on the radio, hear it on the radio, you see it on TV, uh, it's on the street corners, it's in books, it's, in, it's, it's all over the place. So just be alert. And Paul, as a good pastor, Paul, as a good pastor who's concerned about his flock, look at verse 1 in chapter 3, says, foolish, oh foolish Galatians, is what he says, right? Now, what he was trying to say when he said to them, oh foolish Galatians, is that guys, you're not applying your mind to what you have been taught. You're not applying it. That's what that, that means, that word foolish there. You're not applying your mind. Now, this is no time in our history for them as well. There's, this is no time for them to be lazy in believing the truth about the gospel. There's no time. This is a matter of life, and it's a matter of death. Okay? Life eternal. All right? It's a matter of life eternal. Eternal life with all of the benefits. That's what the gospel brings. But also, death, if you don't believe it. And this death is, is, is the death. This, you're talking eternal death. Eternal separation from God for people that will not accept what Christ has brought them through life. Right? The gospel. So this is how serious it is. Jesus said this in John 8, 24. And he was talking to the religious people of his time. And he emphasized this to them. And they were very religious guys, right? This is what Jesus said. And this is how serious this is. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am. That's what he says. That's what he says. He says, if you do not believe that I am. You will die in your sins. That's how serious the gospel is. And here he is, a very serious pastor, concerned about his flock, and he goes, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, the only Jesus that will save you is the Jesus that is in the Bible. No other Jesus is going to save you. And other religions have a lot of different Jesuses. But this is the only, the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us who Jesus is. Then he goes on and he says to them, who has bewitched you, right? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that word bewitched is like charm. It's a demonic term referenced there. Who's, who's charmed you? Who has bewitched you, he says. Um, what, it, what he's trying to say is, who has led you into an evil doctrine? That's what he's saying. Who has led you into there? Now, this, okay, that, excuse me, then he goes on and he says that you should not, all right, that you should not obey the truth. You see that? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now, a checklist is needed here, a reality check about obeying the truth, okay? These false doctrines and, and these false teachers we're keeping them from obeying the truth. So, the check that we need to look at is, 
Am I being obedient to the truth when I read the Bible, when I hear the word of God? Am I obeying the truth? Because if you read the Bible and the truth comes out and you're not obeying it, that should be a, a mark on your checklist to say, hey, something's wrong. And Paul was bringing that up to them. Who has led you down this road, right? The safest place, okay, the safest place we Christians can ever be is through obedience and being in obedience to God. I wrote this here. It says, obedience to God is the safest place any of us Christians can ever be. You may not understand why you're there, but if you're obedient to the Lord telling you to do something, just be obedient to him. Then he goes on, he moves on here, and he says, <clears throat> this is a very interesting point. After that, he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, right? Now, think about it like this. Our Lord's crucifixion was not made up. It did not happen in some secret place. It was not fabricated, okay? Our Lord's death by crucifixion was biblically and historically documented as true in history. It happened, and there's no doubt about it. Biblically, we could see that all through the scriptures. We see the apostles who witnessed the, the resurrection, I mean the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, right? And, and they talked about it, and it's there. It's all through the scriptures, all through the gospels. It's all through the epistles. It talks about, yes, our Lord was crucified. Outside the Bible, other sources, secular sources outside the Bible, also speak of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, also speak of the crucifixion, okay? We have a non-Christian historian by the name of Josephus who speaks about it. The writings that he wrote in what they call the Antiquities is one of the, the, the areas that he wrote, the writings. Also, he wrote the Testimonium Flavorum, that is there, okay, for us to read even today. There was also a gentleman who was a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, okay? He wrote about it, all right? There was also a governor, a Roman governor of Bithynia. He was called uh, Philne the Younger, okay? I don't know who the older one was, but anyway, the Younger. Um, he had correspondence letters to the emperor uh, Trajan that we do have today that speak of the life of Christ and the things that happened. So it's all out there. What we believe as Christians about the gospel is true. It is solid. We have solid evidence inside and outside the Bible. The Bible, and, and, and don't let anyone ever fool you and tell you anything different. What we believe is sure. And I love it, and I love it. Now, uh, in, in verse 2, he says, uh, this only, right? He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? All right? Now, I like his question. His question is simple soul-searching. It's a very simple soul-searching question. Let me read it again. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? And let me ask you the same questions. 
Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Let me read a little bit about the law, and you tell me if that's how you received it. Okay, here's the law. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? You shall have no other gods before me. Hmm. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that is of your neighbors. How about circumcision? Being circumcised on the eighth day. How about keeping the Sabbath? Okay, well, here's a very simple question. Very simple. Did you, he asked them, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, reading the law, I think our answer could be what? <laughs> no, I didn't receive the Spirit that way, neither did they. All right, that's where he goes. Look, he says in, in verse 3, after he finishes that, he says in verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? He asked them another question. And it's very, very soul-searching, this question. Okay? Every Christian starts, okay, in the spirit. You're born again. John 3.16, right? That's how we're born. We're born in the spirit, right? His question is, are you now made perfect by the flesh? That's what his question was. Listen to this. Their Christian maturity, as well as our Christian maturity, cannot be made complete by the works of the flesh. It just can't be done. He's telling them, guys, it, it, it can't be done. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6, verse 63. You got to listen to this. In that same frame of mind that we begin in the spirit, he asked them this question, can you be complete by the things of the flesh? No. Uh, did you even receive it by the, the works of the law? No, so on and so on. Listen to what Jesus says about the spirit. Jesus says this, it is the spirit who gives life. Think about that. That takes you all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 7. When man and woman were born, were, were, born, were created. Laying there, there's Adam, there's Eve in their flesh. Now, there's nothing in them. There's no life in them. They're just there, made from the dust of the, the, the ground. Then it says that God breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and they became a living soul, living being. That's the Spirit. It gives life, right? So Jesus says here, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits Nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. That's what he's saying here. Now, we move on from there. He makes his point to them. First, he calls them out. Oh, foolish Galatians. Okay, got it. I feel kind of bad if I was a Galatian sitting there. And all of a sudden, he squares me away and he says, look, guys. He says, you didn't start this way in the spirit. What's going on with you? Who's leading you down this road? And then he goes on and then he explains to them about the Spirit, right? Well, look at verse 4, and we'll read verse 4 through verse 6 together. And he's going to make a point to them. He says to them, 
Have you suffered so many things in vain? Okay? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? They were accustomed to seeing things in the, in the supernatural in their church happening. That's why we pray for people. So we ask God to intervene in things. God just, he does. He steps in and he does stuff. Supernaturally. Wow, what a miracle. Raised them up. So he says to them, does, does all of this happen by the works of the law or, the end of verse 5, or by the hearing of faith? You know, I thought about that for a minute, the hearing of faith. Faith can be heard. That means faith is voice. It, it, it can make some noise. It's interesting, isn't it? He says, or by the hearing of faith. And then he says in verse 6, he says, just as Abraham. Now he brings Abraham into this whole picture. Abraham has a whole lot to do with this thought pattern that Paul is bringing up to them about believing the truth and about walking by faith. It's either by the works of the Lord or the hearing of faith. Which is it? He brings Abraham in, beautiful example, verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Huh, when in the world did that ever happen? Well, back in Genesis chapter 15, here is Abraham out and about. He just come back from from, from rescuing Lot, you remember that story, right? And then he runs into Melchizedek, and that was awesome. And all of a sudden, you know, the Lord says, I'm your shield, I'm, I'm your great reward. And he goes, what are you going to give me? He's I got no kids. I got my, my, my servant, you know. He, he, raise him up, Lord, you can play. God said, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it's going to work. Then he brought him outside, verse 5, Genesis 15. Then he brought him outside and said, don't you love when God can bring you somewhere. Took him by the hand. So he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. And I'm sure he looks up in that uh, Middle Eastern sky. And I've been there. I've been in the Middle East. And boy, them stars are really bright. He says, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to, to number them. And of course he can. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he what? Believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. That's exactly how it all worked. Now, you got to understand, when he told him this, the implications, okay, of verse 7. That comes right after the 6. Look at verse 7. He tells him in verse 6, accounted him for righteousness. Then he says, therefore... Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Think of the implications of that. Paul is telling these Gentile Galatians, don't listen to these supposed Jews that are coming through the back door in the church teaching this stuff about the law and works in Christ. Don't, don't even listen to these guys, right? Even if they spout out to you that they're some, you know, they're children of Abraham, Right? But what does Paul emphasize in verse 7? Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. You know, 
Jesus made a very good statement in John chapter 8, verse 39, that we can use as an indicator to see who was a child of Abraham. Very interesting, right? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 39, that I use as a good indicator to see who is a child of Abraham. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. You remember that story? He was out there and, and he was talking to them and the, the, the Pharisees and all of the Jews and they're arguing with him. And then he said, they said to him, we're children of um, uh, Abraham is our father is what they said. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, and we just learned here, right back in Galatians 3, 7, um, excuse me, back in Galatians 3, 7, that it's those that are of faith. It says, who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Listen to what Jesus says. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You would do the works of Abraham. You would be living a life of faith. You ain't trying to kill me. That's a good indicator. Is my life a life of faith? Am I living a life of faith? Because that's what God has placed inside me. I love it. I love it. Right? Then he moves on to verse 8. Right? He, he finishes that point, and then he says to them, right, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you, all the nations huh, shall be blessed, is what he said. Now, verse 8. How are we justified? How do we stand before a holy God as a sinner as if we've never sinned? How does that work? How does that work? Is it done by works? No. It's done by faith, right? So God justified the Gentiles by faith. Then he says, did you, did you catch what he said here? In, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse, uh, the middle of verse 8, he says, he says to them that God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. So God preached the gospel to Abraham. Amazing. God preached the gospel to him beforehand, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. Now, think about this. In you, Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. Got it? I'm a son of Abraham. Got it? So do those blessings come my way? I think they do. Matter of fact, I know they do. Listen to what it says, some of the blessings that Abraham got. And I want you to think about this for a minute for yourself. In Genesis 12, verse 3, this is what God told him. I will bless those who bless you. That's a blessing for us. It's a blessing for us. Has anybody blessed you? How about you blessing them? Come bless me, and then I'll bless you. We start blessing each other. <laughs> but that's what God says. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Has anybody cursed you lately? I feel very sorry for them. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, leaving in the hands of the Lord. But guess what? I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So now let's look at verse 9. Then he says, <clears throat> so then, 
those who are of faith is that you think about it. Think about this. So then, so then, so then what? So then all of these blessings, okay. So then those who are of faith, that's me, not of works, not anything I've done, are blessed with believing Abraham. Wow. It's mine. I don't feel it. I don't care. I don't see it. I don't care. Somebody's telling me that I don't, I'm not blessed. I don't care. I'm not going to have it because of somebody. I don't care what they say. I'm looking at the Bible, and like, like, like Chuck was in his bed uh, in the hospital. We were witnessing to this girl. It's amazing how God brings people our way. And he's telling the girl, hey, I'll, whatever you believe what you believe, but I'm telling you what the Bible says. <laughs> here it is, right here. Oh, I love being a child of, of God. I just love it. Guys, we are blessed. We are blessed. And you need to start living like it. Don't listen to what the enemy tells you. Verse 10. So good verse 10. <clears throat> for as many, okay, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law, and we read that, and, and there's a whole lot more too, but we read uh, some of the law, right? To do them. He says, in all things which are written in the book of the law, to do them. That's what he says. Now, let's look at it this way. If you are under the law, if you are controlled by the law, if you are living by the law, if you are putting your faith in the law or in what you could do, do to be standing in a right relationship with God, you are under the curse. Man, let me read that again. Cursed, okay, is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. We don't want to live under the law, believe me. <laughs> oh, but I've been a good person today. I didn't lie in the last, what, I don't know. And all of a sudden, you mess up somewhere else, you just found the whole list. You don't want to live under that, because then you're living under the curse. Now, verse 11, let's look at verse 11, right? But that no one, wait a minute, let me say that again. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, he says. No one? Wait, let me think about that for a minute. No one. Not even, because this is very wide implications when he says no one. Not even a religious Jew in all of his religiosity, meeting every tick and every tittle, not any Gentile who is the most religious and faithful follower of whatever religion they're involved in, okay? No one, no one, it says, all right, no one can be justified by the works that they do. And again, this matter is a matter of life and death, guys. This is not just, okay, you know, you go to the supermarket and the girls, they are living her life, and, 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 or the man, whoever's checking you out, doesn't know anything about Jesus, you give him a track before you leave, and you say, Jesus loves you, you need to read that, and they go, ah, whatever. Guess what? That's a very serious thing. Life or death. They could end up standing before Almighty God 
in a matter of minutes as a judge and not as a savior. So it's, it's a matter of life and death. It's very serious, very, very serious. You know where the end is of those that don't believe in the gospel and those that are going astray away from Christ, right? You know where their end is, right? If they die right now, right now, right now, if they expire on this earth and fall over, they go to Hades, they go to hell, they go to suffering. And then you do know after that there's a day of judgment. You do know that the books will be open. In Revelation chapter 20, you do know that the dead will give, will give them up to that day. And you do know small and great will stand before Almighty God on that judgment day. And you do know they will be judged out of the works that they've done. And you do know that if they are not written in the Lamb's book of life, the lake of fire is where they go. I'm telling you, this is serious stuff. This is life and eternal death. Nobody needs to go there. God loves them. I don't want them to go. So that's why it's so very serious. And Paul is very, very strong here. Okay? Then he moves on. Let's move on here. <clears throat> and he says, but, verse 11, let's recap, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just, that's us, shall live by faith. Yet, the law is not of faith. It isn't? No. Yet, the law is not of faith, he's telling them. But the man who does them shall live by them. Oh, I don't want to. But he's telling you that. If you want to live by it, you're under the curse. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The just shall live by faith. Listen to this. You either live by the law and die in your sins, or you live by faith and have eternal life. Which would you like? <laughs> I know what we have chosen. It's just way too easy. God did not make it difficult. He did not make the 10 steps to get to here and then 10 more steps here. No, 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 no. It's way too easy. You either live by the law and die or in your sins or you live by faith and have eternal life. Now, verse 13 through 14, let's finish that up. And it goes on and it says, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law. Jesus took your place. He took your place. Look, God knew you would stand before the courtroom one day when you die. He knew you would stand before Almighty God. He knew it. He saw it. And he knew that you would stand there without Christ in your own sins. Now you're accountable for everything you've ever done. And you got to go, oh, yes, you're right. What's the payment? I got money. I got gold. I got silver. Bonds. I got a house. I got an RV. <laughs> not you guys. What can I give? God says, you know, there's not enough money in the bank. Pay your way out. For the wages of sin is death. And you never took the gift of life. Therefore, depart from me. And you would do iniquity. And he loves, he loves us. God loves us. He made us. But as a good judge, he does what a good judge does. And he will judge you, not for what you do right, but he will judge for what you do wrong. That's what a good judge does. So, 
Christ has redeemed us, however. Good news, I love it. He's taken our place, all right? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's what he says here. Then he goes on and he says that the blessings, this was done, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There is no special person on the face of this planet, as we learn, who are justified by the law. He's explaining this to them, and he's trying to get it across to them. Then he tells them, the only way that you live is by faith. It's not by anything else. You started that way, you, con you continue that way, and you end that way. But these guys were slipping in through the back door going, time out, church. I know that you started in faith. However, I want you to do something. And Paul comes along and he says, look, guys, this is not how you live. It's not how you function. You know what you're doing? You're being led astray. You're being led into evil doctrine. Today in our age, a lot of people are deceived in what they think Christianity is. But Christianity is very upfront. It's not hidden. It's not in the back room. It's not something that cannot be understood. It's very clear. It's right here in the, in the Word of God. Very, very clear. And to get it across to ourselves and our brains of always wanting to do something and having some type of reward for what we do, I mean, you know, when you were kids, right? What, two, three years ago for you, right? When you were a kid, what happened? You did good, you got paid. You did this, you did that, right? So everything was a reward system, pretty much. But with God, you know, it's not like that at all. If it was a reward system, I know where my reward would be. It'd be a very hot place right about now. <laughs> for the best I've ever been in my day in my, is, is nothing but filthy rags. If there was ever such a day that could ever be noted as the best of any, any day, any good thing I've ever done. We have a loving God, and Paul's trying to tell him as a pastor, you have a loving God that you have the blessings of God. Blessings with Abraham. What I've given him, I'm, I'm blessing you with. Don't you let anybody slip in through the back door and tell you now you got to do this in order to get from God. No way. That's not how it works. You know, the law, it says here, in verse 15, it says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Now he's going to bring it down to a natural way of understanding this. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet, if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So if you and me make a, a covenant, we make a, a contract, a law, and it's all signed, no one can come in and annul it, no one can come in and add to it. Now, verse 16, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Who were these promises made to? To Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, okay, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Notice this, the promise that he gave him. 
was not, hey, you Abraham and all of your seeds are comfortable. That's not where, that's not how it worked. It went to the seed that was in him that would come, which would be Christ, his, his genetical line. Verse 17, and this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later than when I talked to him, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Look, the, the, the promises I gave you, that covenant I gave Abraham way back when, and then the law came 430 years later, the law can't come in and go, oh, no, 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 it all changes now. I know that you accounted it to him for righteousness is faith, and that's all it took. But now the law is here, so the law changes it. He say, no, it don't. Oh, it adds to it. No, it don't. So then what's the purpose of the law? Let's look a little further. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Look, what was given to us by faith was by promise, not by the law. It's either one or the other. You can't have both. And he's trying to tell them, guys, you can't live on, on both sides of this fence. It's one or the other. Are you standing in Christ by faith? Yes. Are you standing in Christ by the works of the law? You can't do both. So Paul is saying, you might try to fool yourself, but it ain't going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. There's no growth there. There's no maturity there. There's no relationship with God through the words. I ain't going to work. So then he moves on. Look at look here, and then we're coming to a close. He says here, <clears throat> verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? And that's a good question. How many people you talk to try to have you keep the law, and you told them, I'm not under the law. Oh, then why did God give the law? Well, let's look. It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions is what I do when I know what I'm doing is wrong. That's a transgression. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to steal from, from, uh, from Dave Feldman. But he had that money sitting on his drum seat. Boy, I needed that money. I'll give it back later. But I'm just going to, I got to tell him. <laughs> Keep it, okay. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Right? And it, the law, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, verse 20 is interesting. It says, now, a mediator, mediator does not mediate for one only, for God is one. So when God made this covenant, did it? Nobody need, if there's two people, you and me, right, Bob, and we're doing a deal, well, we need a mediator, a lawyer, and all this, sign the paperwork, good to go. That's not how it works with God when he made this promise, Abraham. That's not how it worked. Because God is one, and he made the promise. It's settled. That's it. Don't need nobody to come in and do anything. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. There is no conflict there. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, think about that. If there was a law that could have given life, well, I've got to keep the Sabbath. I've got to keep this law, I've got to do that, I've got to be water baptized, I've got to be, I don't know, you name it, name it, name it, I don't, I don't 
pray 10 times a day. I don't know. Give me something that you're making up. I got to have it. No. No. For if there had been a law given which which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If, If it could have happened that way, God would have had it and done that. But guess what? That's not how it works. Verse 22. But the scripture has confined or made it so that there's no way out, has confined all under sin. There's no way out of that. You're confined there. All have sinned. All have, have, have um, uh, uh, works that are filthy rags, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's given to those who believe. And it's in spiritual exchange. It's not a monetary exchange. Physical exchange. It's the heart doing business with God. Saying, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. You're the Savior. I'm a sinner. And I need you. He goes on here and he says, verse 23, but before faith came, We were kept under guard by the law. Hmm, We were kept under guard by the law. Kept for something. Hmm, We're kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So, So the law, think about it this way. Before you knew anything about Christ, the law had you. It kept you. Right? Then it says, then it says, therefore, verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It was like a schoolmaster that says to us, give me your hand, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder. Oh, I am. Your parents? You disrespectful to your parents? You use God's name in vain? You blaspheme? The very God that gave you life and breath? Yeah, it's me. I'm a mess. And he takes you like a schoolmaster and brings you over here because there's nothing you can do in the law to get you out of that. You're confined in it. And he brings you over here and he sits you down to Jesus Christ who paid your fine through faith in him. And now you're released from being under that tutor. No longer. And then look at the end where it says here, as we close, therefore, the law, let's, let's read 24 one more time, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Don't need it no more. I had a girl ask me this week, what do you do? How do you know what to do is right and wrong? Told her straight. It's in my heart. The Holy Spirit tells me. The what? The Holy Spirit tells me right and wrong. I don't need the law to tell me what's right and wrong. I know that money on your seat that I'm not supposed to take. And I'm convicted in my heart. What are you convicted for? Because I got a new heart. Oh, you got a new heart? She says, Yeah. Because when I was under the law and he brought me, the tutor brought me to Christ, he, he paid my fine, but he gave me something. What was given to you by faith? What was given to you? An exchange of life. 
So it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Now you tell me, is that amazing this week as you walk, knowing you are a child of God under the blessings that Abraham got. You, it is, and I don't care what anybody tells you. You got it. And trust the Lord to bring you through this week because he loves you very, very much. Amen? Amen. Someone go get the praise band leader and then we'll close and pray with our last song. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this epistle that was uh, written almost 2,000 years ago. My very faithful pastor. He was a man that trusted you and he loved you very, very much. But Lord, he was also under the law, steeped in sin, persecuting the church. You met him, drew him. He accepted the invitation for salvation and you made him new. And now he's just doing what you told him to do, to tell others of your goodness. We know that Paul felt bad about seeing the church that he started out there in all those areas of Galatia turning away from the faith. But Father, we know that your Holy Spirit takes your word. We know that you take the word. It will not return void, but it will strengthen us. It will encourage us. And you will lead us. And you will guide us. So Lord, I pray a a special blessing on all of our hearts that heard this word today that it will stay strong in us all week. It will accompany, accompany us wherever we go and we will be able to share with others. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen.